Hey there, my name is Vosh. I live stream on YouTube and sometimes, accidentally, in spite of myself, something funny or interesting happens. This is Previously Live. Yesterday, I made a video where I encouraged people, if they were a conservative or more conservative than me, to email me at a YouTube, uh, not YouTube, uh, e a Gmail account called askfosh at gmail.com. I have received over 1,000 emails since then. I have not had a chance to go through all of them, but I've gone through a few and I've selected a few. And my goal in this is that I feel it important to remind the people who watch that fundamentally most people agree that it's important to make this country and this world better, and that the best way to do that is to agree on the solutions to agreed upon problems. So I got a lot of questions, and I'm gonna answer them, and I'm gonna try, we're gonna, uh, we're gonna, I've got, how many do I have here, like 10? We're gonna get into it, people, okay? Did you filter out the troll email? Yeah, there were plenty of troll emails, of course, but there were plenty of non-troll emails as well. So, let me take a peep at this, okay? Hey, Vosh, you can call me Lectival, and I'd consider myself a liberal. My question is, is there something on the left for young men? What I mean is that lots of stuff about gender that I watch is about women, feminism, or trans people, and the privilege that we men have. So as to avoid the incel, MGTOW, red pill bullshit that seems so prevalent, and with the right-wing slash white supremacist stuff, is there any content creator that's focused or has content about new masculinities or something like that? Well, the answer is, I don't actually have a uh, response to you with regards to content creators who focus on men's issues from a perspective that I'd consider healthy, apart from me. Um, oh, I know Zan does it. ContraPoints' men video is good. I know Lance does it from the surf. Um, Our Relevant does. PhilosophyTube has talked about it. PhilosophyTube's video on um, the abuse that he suffered, spoilers, um, was really, really, really good. Bo of the fifth column hits this. The point here is, and I think this is a fairly new development, okay? Um, I'm going to speak ill for a moment. The second wave feminism was incredibly exclusionary. A lot of people talk about second wave feminism being exclusionary because it was really about white women. Let's be real, though. Any feminism that doesn't include the interests and perspective of men, fucking loser feminism, honestly. Shit-tier feminism. Cringe. Not good, people. Um... I mean, for most of society, men and women, we got it split kind of half and half, you know, not exactly, but more or less. And you can't address gender-related issues exclusively by focusing on the perspectives of women. You, you can't do that. Can you imagine an anti-racist movement that was exclusively about black liberation, but not about normalizing racial relations with white people? You probably can't, because Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was smarter than that. Even the Black Panthers, which were a pretty, yeah, like your Hotep movements or whatever, even the Black Panthers were really, really willing to engage in the kind of class-based solidarity. Um, that's one of the reasons why the government killed them off, you know? Or at least tried to force them out of the ring. It's because they were so effective at challenging these deeply held biases. The new Black Panthers are about that. The new Black Panthers have nothing to do with the real Black Panthers. The new Black Panther Party is a uh, anti-Semitic, radical, racist movement. They're not good. It's not good. Um, 
it's important to focus on men's issues because men are also affected by negative aspects of gender relations in this country. There are issues in which men are actually hurt more than women. Some lefty circles consider this like taboo to say, but it's 100% true. So I think this is a developing field of thought. I think this is something we are working on more. And I hope that that continues because there are a lot of young men who feel really lost without this new type of masculinity that they can adhere to, without a new idea of what it means to be masculine or to be a man. Um, I've talked about this before, and I'll talk about it again. I think that Zagreus from the game Hades does a really, really good job of portraying a healthy masculinity. And by healthy masculinity, I don't mean some latte-sipping, soy-chugging, pajama-wearing, faffy, hipster-glasses, dipshit masculinity, or whatever it is I'm doing. I mean muscular, aggressive, athletic, powerful masculinity. That's also really cool. My personal opinion. Just saying. Next up. Hey, you can just call me Kyle. I orbit your community. Used to lurk the Chud channel. I've got a very centrist question. Would anarchy mean the end of religion? Could those two things coexist at all? I don't think any anarchist society could do anything meaningful to restrict people's religious freedoms. I would like to believe that in an anarchist society, people would be less religiously oriented, but no. Um, no anarchist society, or at least no, in, not intrinsically. There's nothing intrinsic to anarchism that involves the, the dissolution of religious freedom. I think that people should be able to be religious if they want. I don't, I mean, I don't agree with it, but I don't think Turkey, I think Turkey's the worst meal in the Thanksgiving meal, but other people like that. And I, if I was grand premier of America, I wouldn't take that away from you, you know? Um, and we have, um, hello, Vosh. This is from Josh. As a person more aligned with the center right, I have an interest like most people in the balance of power in the Supreme Court. I find the idea of a court made up of judges with the same judicial philosophy to be inadequate. How would you feel about structuring the court in a way that requires a designated amount of seats to each judicial philosophy? So this is an interesting question. Like, what if you had three seats that were constitutional originalists, and then you had three seats which were more like activist judges? My, my simple answer to this is I don't think it makes, I don't think it matters. I don't think there's any such thing as a apolitical judicial philosophy. Fundamentally, I think that everyone has political biases, even judges, and they will adopt any outcomes that suit their political interests, with some exceptions. Take, for example, Scalia. If you take a look at Scalia's record, he had some insane fucking con conclusions. And... Many of them he would justify through a veil of constitutional uh, originalism, but many of them, at least from what I've read from other people um, like analyzing his, his perspective in the constitutional, they were nonsensical, you know? Like they were ridiculous. It just so happened to be a coincidence that Scalia's decisions always supported a far-right perspective, you know? Like it was originalism, you know, he was just reading the text of the document. He just kept arriving at conservative conclusions over and over and over again, even if it seemed 
completely divorced from the perspective of the Constitution. I don't really believe that judicial philosophies are that relevant. At the end of the day, I really just think it's a matter of the individual judges, their political leanings, and the extent to which they're going to let their political leanings affect their outcomes. There are instances of judges with a conservative leaning who end up making pretty progressive choices. A pretty good example of that being, oh God, I can't, I forget names so easily. The judge that uh, uh, Donald Trump appointed, Gorsuch, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Gorsuch with the Native American um, Oklahoma decision, yeah. I would not have expected that from a Trump appointee, but he seemed to do a really good job, in my opinion, um, constitutionally analyzing the validity of the claims made by the indigenous people there. And I think that's great. Yeah, the trans discrimination thing too. Now, is that because Gorsuch is top secretly super progressive? Or is it because he's honest with his interpretation of the Constitution? I don't know. But I don't think the philosophy in these cases is as important as the character of the judge themselves. But I'm not a constitutional scholar, not even close. So I could be wrong in that. Um, from William, would you say that Islam is an evil and a hateful ideology based on its teachings in the Quran, regardless of the beliefs of individual Muslims? Like when you say ACAB, you don't actually mean all cops are bastards, but the system of policing is a bastard. Um, I think that the fundamental texts of most religions are pretty irrelevant to the beliefs of the people who have them. There are good Christians and good Muslims and bad Christians and bad Muslims. Um, I think, I mean, if you want me to be like super edgy, like Reddit atheist, I think that religion in general is pretty evil and hateful because it generally teaches an incredibly morally duistic perspective where people who don't believe what you believe end up going to hell, you know, or at the very least are disprivileged in some existential way. I think that the concept of people who have a different belief set from you being condemned to eternal punishment is pretty fucked up. The Jews don't believe in hell, but even then you get stuck in purgatory and only they go to heaven, right? I still think that's pretty fucked up, you know? And it leads to a really, really weird power dynamic in the perceived minds of religious people where, you know, you may pick on the Christian, bol the nerd in school or whatever, but, you know, then he picks up his book and he's like, yeah, I'll be laughing at you from heaven. And of course, we all rot when we die, at least in my opinion, but I don't like religion in general. But I don't think that Muslims or the religion of Islam is any more disposed towards evil than Christianity is, like, at all. Um, I mean, we like to forget now because, like, a couple thousand people died in 9-11 and, like, we get a couple anti like Muslim terrorist attacks or whatever. But Christians kind of ran a global terror campaign for a thousand years during the Crusades. There are people like, um, there are people like Crowder who will try to tell you that it was, like, self-defense. They'll say that. Usually Nazis. They'll be like, the Crusades are self-defense, but... No. Even George Bush said the war on Iraq was something that he was inspired to wage um, from God. How many people died in Iraq? How many hundreds of thousands of people died? How many more died then from starvation and from deprivation economically? Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, at the end of the day, I think that like many other things, religion is a, uh, a system of self-justification that will lend moral weight to the beliefs of people in power. And that's about it. Here we go. I think this is a spicy one from Louie. How do you handle the contradiction of the trans question? 
simultaneously a social construct, yet also okay with trans people essentializing gendered traits. You don't have much of an argument in this regard and will forever keep socially conservative people out by not accepting that there are essentialist characteristics and that playing with gender can be detrimental. Most of you are okay with straight people questioning their identity, but they are unwilling to supply the same critique to people who have flipped the gender switch, so to speak. I have no issue with trans people, but the LGBT is anti-normativity by default and just wants the roles reversed when they're unable to confront this contradiction. So there are a lot of things here, and only one of them is a question, and the rest of them are just statements. So I'm going to try my best to break this down. So, yes, LGBT, LGBT people are by definition anti-normative because heteronormativity is the system that we live in. So by being gay, you kind of are anti-normative, but that's not really like a political thing. That's just the normativity, the political nature of the heteronormativity is what makes them anti-normative, you know? You don't get to blame LGBT people for being, like, subversive when you're the one focusing on making a given system, like, the normative natural state of man, when in reality, humans have been all sorts of fucking things throughout history. So, you say they want the roles reversed. No LGBT people want to, like, oppress straight cis people. I don't know what you mean by roles reversed. Um, so you say that Gender is a social construct, which I agree with. But then you say trans people want to essentialize gendered traits. I don't know what you mean by that. You mean like a trans girl will wear a dress and put makeup on and wear a wig or grow their hair long because those are feminine traits? Here's the secret, okay? Trans women don't wear dresses and makeup because they think it makes them more of a woman. They wear it because they want to be seen as more of a woman. If you ask a trans woman, like, is it your dress that makes you a woman? They're not going to say yes. They're going to say they wear the dress and the makeup and shit, either because they like it, which I imagine a lot of them do, and also because they want to be recognized as feminine and as a woman, which they do. And that's not mutually exclusive with gender being a social construct, you know? Like, what do I do that's masculine? I don't know. I'm wearing a t-shirt right now. It's, uh, uh, um... Uh, working out, having big muscles, being a masculine thing, beard, let's go with beard, okay? Having a, bi a big beard, that's like considered a masculine thing. Um, but if you asked me, am I more of a man than a guy who has a clean shaven face? Or if you ask me if I have my beard because it makes me a man, I'm going to say no, of course not. I just have a beard because I like having a beard. And I like that it makes me appear more masculine. I appreciate that. But it, it's not an essential thing. And then you go on to say, you don't have much of an argument in this regard and will forever keep socially conservative people out by not accepting there are essentialist characteristics. I don't know what you mean by essentialist characteristics. If you mean sex, then I would say that, generally speaking, having a penis is fairly essentialist to being XY, or having a womb is fairly essentialist to being XX. Even then, there are exceptions, of course. But, um, but that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about gender, you know? Um, and that playing with gender can be detrimental. I don't know what you mean by playing with gender. Most of you are okay with straight people questioning their identity, sure, but they're unwilling to supply the same critique to people who have flipped the gender switch, so to speak. So you're saying that people like me, <coughs> excuse me, you're saying people like me aren't okay with trans people questioning their identity? I just don't understand what you mean here. But I am? 
And by the way, I'm fine. Some people on the, the right, they'll say like, the left can't handle all these people who are detransitioning. The number of people who detransition is very small. And most of the ones who do, do so for reasons that are usually very complicated and personal. But if a person thinks they're NB or trans and then they're like, yeah, and they go back to like identifying cis, I'm fine with that. I just want people to be happy. I'm not, not, not arguing uh, uh, with that conceptually. Anyway, um, from Mustang, I've been thinking about this for a while. <coughs> Goodness, excuse me. I don't have corona. Thank you. But I wasn't sure how to put it into words or who to ask about it because a lot of people don't seem to recognize different types of blackface slash brownface slash yellowface. And when it's brought up, they only think of minstrel shows and racist things like that. What are your opinions on blackface that doesn't portray black people negatively? Let me see. They give some reasons why blackface is usually racist. For example, Robert Downey Jr.'s blackface in Tropic Thunder. There we go. Any conversation about blackface has to include Tropic Thunder. I've heard other streamers say it doesn't really matter or that it's not that important of an issue, which may be true, but it doesn't seem like enough of a response to me. How do you feel about this? Good, bad, doesn't matter, important issue, etc. Well, it's not an important issue. Even today, blackface is an incredibly antiquated way of expressing racism. Most racism is in like subtle policy decisions and political affiliations. Like most black people aren't getting their daily dose of white racism from people wearing striped pants, doing minstrel show dances in blackface. Like that's not, it's a very antiquated sort of way of being racist. Nowadays, people who do blackface for racism are usually like really, really, really racist, like unbelievably racist, you know? And they usually give it away in ways other than their blackface. You can usually tell if a person is the blackface for racism type beforehand. Um, are there ways to do blackface? Good. Well, first of all, I'm a white dude, so I preempt everything I'm about to say by pointing out that I'm a white dude. Yeah, I think in Tropic Thunder it was pretty okay. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, I do. I do. Because the whole joke in Tropic Thunder was that he was a method actor who was so committed to his role that he got skin darkening surgery and other people were making fun of him for being for doing that. It wasn't just him in blackface. The point is that it was bad that he did it. So it was bad that he did it and the black co-star in that movie made fun of him for doing it. And the movie was making fun of him for doing it. It's kind of like the question, is it bad to say the N-word if you're an actor in a movie and your character is racist? Like, can we not depict racism in movies anymore? You know what I mean? Um, so I think, I mean, I think contextually, basically anything can be justifiable, especially in art. Oh, yeah, and nobody asked him to do it. Yeah, they, like, made fun of him because he just did it himself. He voted for Biden, yeah. Um, I, I think you can portray anything in art. There are all, and even outside of art, there are other ways that different types of sort of racial um, caricatures can be done responsibly. For example, there are black dance crews that paint their faces white, but when they do that, 
they're not imitating white people. It's just an aesthetic flourish. They're changing the tone of their skin. But when you look at a black dancer who's painted their face porcelain white, you don't think, and the point of that art usually isn't to think, they're a white person. It's usually like, oh, their face is just white. When white face is done by black people, like in White Chicks or by Dave Chappelle or what that shit, you know, it's usually funny because there's not really that underlying animosity. Can it be done well with blackface? I think anything can be done well. It's about the reception. And I'll tell you this, okay? I measure racism consequentially. Is a thing racist? Well, how much does it enable racism? How much does it hurt black people? How much does it, you know, um, embolden other racists? So on and so forth. I don't think Tropic Thunder, I don't even remember there being that much of a controversy about it when it came out. Am I misremembering? Were people like, were there like black activist groups that were really upset about Tropic Thunder? Because I don't think so. I, I, yeah, I'm sure there were some people, but I don't think there was like this big, you know, yeah, yeah, I don't think anyone really much cared because I think it was, I think it was handled decently. Um, so yeah, it's, I'd, I'd say that's fine. Of course, 98% of the time, if blackface is being done, it's probably not good. There was that one episode, was it of The Office? Um, where a guy role plays as a drow, a dark elf, and he paints his whole face black. Um, the commu community, community, and not The Office, thank you, community. He painted himself as a, a drow, which th they're black-skinned elves, literally black, not brown, because black people are brown, actually, but literally black. And um, they actually removed that episode in the wake of BLM which I thought was kind of dumb. Like, were black people really upset about the episode where the dweeby character painted himself? Let me see if I can find that. Community, black, I know if I Google blackface, it's more likely to, okay, wait, yeah, here we go. Okay, wow, this <laughs> sure is funny to look at. It's, they were playing like D&D &D or something like that. Oh, God. Man, that's, they put a, that's like a bucket of shine. Jesus Christ. Anyway, I saw the episode. Nothing about the episode was racist. They made fun of him for, this, this action was not celebrated in the context of the episode. But I don't think we should take down episodes. No, it's the lips that's bad there. Yeah, the red lips. Yeah. Well, I don't know if they're painted red or if that's just, he didn't color them? I have no idea. Yeah, he, he voted for Biden twice. When you commit voter fraud for Joe Biden. That's, that's what happens when you, um, that's what happens when you, um, uh, 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 when, when you bring the, the fucking bucket of votes over to, um, over to Georgia. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to move the emails over to the other monitor. <laughs> All right, what's the next one? Let me see. There is a caveat, which is that you can't do the Jeff Dunham thing of pretending to be a straight man while using a character to express racist stereotypes, the punchline. Y yeah. Yeah, of course. 
if the joke is that a guy does blackface... Wait. If the blackface is that a person's just doing a minstrel show and then you're commenting on the minstrel show, that's probably not a good use of blackface, just generally speaking. Also, Jeff Dunham, probably not good in general. Just generally speaking, you know? Um, from Jerry, asking a question on behalf of my father. What differentiates a private firm giving equity to its internal employees from a worker co-op system? Equity just means you get a share. Worker cooperatives imply some degree of internal democracy where you get to elect um, your managers and make democratic decisions about, the, um, about how your firm is run. Um, here we go. From Seth. Um, why has the path to communism fallen short so many times. Um, I've been watching your content since June. I'm trying to learn more about leftism, though we agree on some things. I can't seem to reconcile this one issue. So many countries who have tried to achieve communism have ended up decaying. Why is this? I know you're not a tanky, so you don't support the USSR or anything like that. But nonetheless, what went wrong with the experiment? What is the fatal flaw of so many of these nations that bar them from ever achieving true communism? Well, I like to think of socialism as economic democracy which means that we should think of the struggle for socialism as a struggle towards democracy. And there can be, you know, um, there can be, there are a lot of ways that you can take this. So here are some easy leftist answers. A lot of lefties, this is like they're straight off the dome answer, okay? CIA sabotage. Is that true? Well, yes, especially in Latin America and at times in Africa and the Middle East and in Southeast Asia and in the rest of the world. Um, Western imperialism and um, intelligence communities have uh, killed democratically elected leaders, supported coups, armed rebels, and basically done a lot to fuck up legitimate, legitimate democratic socialism, you know? Um, so that is a reason for some of it. Now, other countries like the USSR, the USSR didn't get felled by, you know, uh, CIA interventionism, but other countries that weren't destroyed by uh, regime changes, they also had to adopt certain measures to prevent, they call it counter-revolutionary activity, but also foreign intervention. See, the nice thing about the United States of America is that around the time socialism started growing around the world, the U.S. was already situated. We were a strong, developed, industrialized country with a strong civil society, with intelligence agencies, with a domestic military. We were already situated, so we're strong. And even then, we had to contend with a fair number of spies during World War II and the Cold War. But still, other countries just getting started are much more susceptible to foreign interference. And for that reason, they have to adopt measures to prevent it. And often, those measures are anti-democratic and expensive. There are problems that go beyond this, though. In my personal opinion, if you are to reject economic democracy, as the USSR did, as many countries in Southeast Asia that have called themselves socialist have, if you are just state capitalist, I don't think you are as poised to succeed in the global marketplace as a traditional capitalist economy. The main reason for that being, if you're the USSR, what's the fundamental difference between you and the United States, besides vodka, culture, language, and basically everything else? The main difference is who controls the productive forces in your country. The United States 
as private firms. They do global business that way. And the USSR has state-run industries. The problem is, due to the way the Cold War developed, those state-run industries were not trading with Western markets. And since the West controlled a significant amount of resources and wealth and labor across the world, far more than the communist world did at that time, since they were mostly developing countries, the USSR, of course, had to industrialize after the 1917 revolution. Now's China had to industrialize after the revolution. These countries were starting up from the bottom. And now um, they have to essentially grow being locked out of the global marketplace. America can trade with Europe. America can trade with their proxies and their colonial powers across the world. Who does, who does the USSR get to trade with? Cuba? China? The markets were smaller, and this led to a lot of market deficiencies. Um, I don't think state capitalism is a fundamentally inefficient way of running a society. I think it's cruel and autocratic and despotic and wrong, as I do with laissez-faire capitalism, but I don't think state capitalism is inherently inefficient. I think it can function well. Vietnam, I believe, and it's a mixed economy, but Vietnam, certain elements of it, are functioning very well. Even though I don't think it's socialist, I don't think it's democratic, I don't stand Vietnam, it functions well. So the reason these societies have had such a tepid developing period is in part because the West has opposed economic democracy abroad, and in part because alienation from the global marketplace, which is generally controlled by laissez-faire capitalists, has hurt them. Does that make sense? That's my perspective on this. If we are to see the success of real socialism, of economic democracy, real socialism, it will need to be in a way which does not lock that country out of the global marketplace. And now there's just one global marketplace, by the way. China trades with America. Russia trades with everyone else. Like, there's just one global marketplace now. If a socialist country were to come about and they couldn't trade globally, they would be miserably poor. They would be incapable of developing their own country. Their industry would rot and fail. And they would eventually have some sort of internal coup funded by foreign powers. And the next leader would end up being controlled by the government of the United States. Yes, and that's happened many times before. Free trade, but make it socialist. Step one. Step one. Economic democracy, you maintain global trade relations. Economic democracy spreads across whatever country is capable of adopting it. And then, when enough of these countries are collectively, well, workers' states, then you begin to encourage global trade measures that are amicable towards the global south. I don't think there's a way for a country to completely cut the chains of global capitalism without fucking themselves in the process right now. But step one, I mean, step one, you know? Just step one. In my opinion. Nathaniel, thank you for the question. Not a conservative, but struggling to move further left. The only thing keeping me, <coughs> kill me, from going full socialist, and possibly even further to where you are, is this fear 
that was put into me by my conservative upbringing that any and all attempts to bring about these changes result in tyranny. I don't tend to have the time to hunt down information that counters this idea. Um, can you have anything to put me at ease on this point? Well, I did just talk about the ways in which economic democracy could best be brought about. But I will say this. Keep in mind, the system we have now is a tyrannical one. There are literally billions of human beings in the global South that are kept in, through material incentives, through our economic soft power, um, are kept in perpetual toil um, because they need to satisfy the economic needs of the global North. And even within our own countries, we live lives which are nominally democratic, but in reality, most of our day-to-day -day life decisions are controlled by undemocratic forces like business. So when we think of tyranny, we tend to think of like these really grandiose, like Stalin controls everything. And um, of course, the USSR was far more tyrannical than America is today, at least domestically. But given what's happened with Trump over the past four years, do you really feel like you've had that much of a control over the direction this country is going in? Like, do you really feel like this is a democratic country? Do you feel in control right now? It always get worse, sure, but don't delude yourself into thinking that this is good. There are countries that do this better. There are countries that do this better in parts of the world that we don't think very much of, like Bolivia. Bolivia's political system is more representative than America's is. And their leaders, at least their current leaders, are more representative of the interests of their population than ours are of us. That's cool. Maybe things will get better. James, my friend, why should I support socialism instead of social democracy? Not even trying to challenge you, just genuinely curious. I'll be the first to admit I don't know much about actual socialism. <clears throat> so socialism is composed of two fundamental characteristics. You have economic democracy, that is to say, workers control the means of production, or in more normalized terms, every business is a worker co-op, or everything's run by a highly dem democratic state. The gist of it. And additionally, you have the decommodification of society, where swaths of the economy that are currently controlled by markets are decommodified. Uh, these they are made provisionally to people just on the basis of them being alive. We have decommodified systems here in the United States, like public education. And that works out pretty well. And people like Bernie Sanders want this for healthcare. But what if we did it for transportation? Well, that could be good. Well, what if we did it for some other things, like banking? Yeah, well, that could be good. You do it far enough, you creep closer and closer towards broader decommodification. There are socialist theorists who are okay with limited elements of a market economy in like, for example, the luxury sector. Eh, can people have private de democratically owned firms to sell Fabergé eggs? Sure. Okay. Sure. Fine. As long as it's democratically owned. Fine. Okay. You can have your Fabergé egg business. The problem with social democracy is that it doesn't really fundamentally fix any of the problems our society has. Most of the problems in our society are fundamentally dictated by the antagonism between the working class and the bourgeois. Every ecological regulation, every 
bit of public sector work, every move against austerity, all of these have to be fought against a group of incredibly powerful, incredibly wealthy people who don't have your interests in mind. In fact, their interests are opposite to yours. The more you get, the less they get. And they want more. They want it all. And I think, frankly, that if we are to have a fair and a just society, it would be much easier for us to just get rid of the opposing class rather than to have to constantly fight against them. Let me give you an example. Folks, constitutional monarchy. Do you want to live in a constitutional monarchy? No elections. It's hereditary. I'm getting three, four, six, ten, twenty no's. Why not? Constitutional monarchies can still provide free education and healthcare. There's no reason why they couldn't. You think you need democratic control of government? Why? If there's a peasant uprising, then that's not to their interest. They want to prevent a peasant uprising. They can provide healthcare. They can provide roads. They can provide everything. They can provide uh, the free market sector of business that um, cuts prices down and, you know, uh, makes all of your lives better. I live in a democratic constitutional monarchy. I mean just a monarchy, dipshits, not with a prime minister. Wait, I'm sorry. When, when I said constitutional monarchy, you all thought of England. I mean fucking Magna Carta tier England, okay? Monarchy. You said constitutional? Constitutional monarchy doesn't mean that you have a fucking prime minister that you, with the elected representative. Wait, do you think that they elected absolute monarchy? No! It was a constitutional monarchy back in the day of the Magna Carta. Wait, hold on. Okay, we're back. We have one more question. And I've saved the best for last. Ugh. This person actually emailed me. My <coughs> okay, hold on. Okay. This person <clears throat> actually emailed me, my original email account, before I even did the damn video that, where I asked people to email me. <laughs> From Migraine Sufferer, I thought I'd try my luck getting ahead of the pack and sending you a question. My biggest question for leftists is how they can support mass immigration and amnesty while claiming to be pro-worker and pro-environment. The influx of cheap labor caused by immigration hurts the middle and lower classes more than any other demographic. While working in construction, I saw non-union bosses use cheap, illegal labor to cut costs. These were projects that were happening in minority communities that could have produced jobs in these areas, but instead used foreign labor at prices no one in that community could work for. On this site, there were even protests by community leaders to the practice. Even with legal immigrant labor through H-1B visas, the recipients are paid 10% less than the industry average, and huge mega-corporations pocket the difference. How can somebody graduating with college debt compete with that? With the environment, many organizations like the Sierra Club were anti-immigration in the 1980s. 
This was because they saw it as prolonging of cheap labor and a recipe for vast stretches of hovercrowding and resource consumption. How was supplying mega farms with seasonal labor good for anyone but those corporations? My ideal solution is cracking down on legal and illegal immigration. This cuts off the supply of cheap labor, meaning construction sites have to hire people in the communities they're building in, forces corporations to hire out-of-college graduates at a living wage, cuts down on urban sprawl, slumlords, and resource consumption. Okay. <clears throat> the downsides to this would be that goods get more expensive, but I think that's a good price to pay for your community to be able to sustain itself. All right. So we've got a couple of points to break down here. First of all, because I want citizenship for all of the people in this country, or at the very least, I want a path to citizenship, um, you can't blame me or lefties or whatever for our positions on illegal immigration. I do think it's a travesty that illegal immigrants are paid um, under the table, a quarter the wages of their uh, legal compatriots, but I don't want there to be any illegal immigrants. I want them legal. So that's, you know, not a... Um, not something that I can really address. I'm not defending that at all. Um, with regards to the um, influx of immigration hurting middle and lower class workers, that is actually not the case. The only, I've gone over data point after data point after data point on this. The only American demographic whose wages are lowered by the influx of immigration are domestic workers who dropped out of high school. That's it. Everything past that point, everything past that high school graduation and onwards, wages rise. And the reason why wages rise is because in a market economy, labor is a resource. The more workers you have in your country, the more access you have to labor. It means that there are more mouths to feed. It means there are more houses that need to be built. It's a resource that leads to an increase in the productive functionality of the country. And that means more jobs, and that means more managerial jobs. Especially since immigrants tend not to come in right away as managers. You know, they may not speak English that well, or they may just not be as high-skilled as the domestic workers. That means an increase in higher managerial roles. And then there's other work too, electricians, plumbers. Everything gets better the more people there are in this country, assuming that we're working within the capacity for productive growth, which in America we are. We have a very large country, like space-wise, um, and it's very, very sparsely populated compared to many other parts of the world. Now, this isn't the case in like inner city New York. Obviously, the population density there is insane. But generally speaking, in this country, we can handle more people. So there are, of course, some people who are hurt by this. Uh, high school dropouts are people too. However, there is another benefit to immigration, and it is enormous, immeasurable corporate wealth. Now, as a leftist, I don't give a fuck about corporations. Why not just take the money away from those corporations and use that to feed back into social benefits that disproportionately help the poor, the uneducated, and the unemployed? Why not just tax them more? Like. If we can make society better for almost everyone, except for high school dropouts, and in the process raise trillions of dollars that we can then reinvest into society in a way that benefits the high school dropouts more than they would have benefited 
if they had just been able to get a job because there were no immigrants in the first place. We've made everybody better off. We've made everybody better off. We've even the high school dropouts, the immigrants too. Everybody is better off. There's a fundamental misconception in your email, and it's something that ethno. Mm, sorry, that nationalists uh, really bug me about. And it's that I'm pro worker. That doesn't just mean American worker. You say right here, I only began caring about politics in 2016 with Trump and only saw my politics reflected when I started watching Tucker Carlson in 2017. Please, Tucker Carlson is a corporate simp. That motherfucker is about as populist as the Murdoch who controls him. Um, but if you're pro worker, you can't just be pro-American worker. It doesn't end here at the border. You say that you want jobs to go to the people who live in those communities. Dudes, immigrants, legal or illegal, live in the communities they work in. If you've worked at a construction site and they start paying illegal immigrants under the table, those illegal immigrants live in your community. They pay state taxes. They're there. They pay uh, uh, income tax. They pay gas tax. They're there in your community. They provide, they live. Those are your neighbors. Those are the people you wave at when you uh, walk out your front door to go to the car. Um, yeah, they, um, <coughs> excuse me. So your suggestion that immigrants are like these other things that show up and they're not a part of the real community, I just don't think that's true. If an immigrant comes here and lives in Los Angeles for 12 years, that motherfucker is every bit as American as me when I was 12. More so, because they, they had a choice to come here, you know? If a, per if a person risks crossing the border to live in Los Angeles and then works for landscaping, they worked to get here in America? I was just born here. I don't give a fuck. I, I have money. I could go move to New Zealand or Canada. They chose to come here. They're more of an American than I am. And if they work and they're getting paid under the table, they're getting underpaid, that's fucked up. So let's get them citizenship. Let's get them registered, at least. Get a green card or whatever, so they can be paid a proper amount. And then nobody's getting undercut. You don't like that immigrants aren't paid as much? We can work on that through policy. But why make immigrants the enemy, dude? That's the lie you're being sold right now. You're being sold anti-immigration, but you're being told that it's pro-worker. This isn't pro-worker. This is just anti-immigration. If you really wanted pro-worker takes, I mean, we can get pro-worker. We can talk, we can talk pro-worker. We can talk about democratizing the workplace. We can talk about radical unionization. Does Tucker Carlson talk about unions? Unions are the number one way of ensuring workers' rights in a country. I notice he doesn't talk about them that much. Maybe a reason for that. Maybe because his Murdoch, his boss, the guy who he said. Uh, he is honored to be caned by, um, reflects the business interests of the people in this country. It's just interesting that these billionaires are selling you workers' rights ideas that don't include unionization, but do include getting rid of immigrants. I'm just, I'm encouraging you to think about that. There are problems with how immigration is handled in this country, and there are negative consequences to immigration. But there are many positives as well. And in my mind, and from the research I've seen, those positives vastly outweigh the negatives by orders of magnitude, by huge, huge, huge orders of magnitude. 
It's just a matter of where those benefits go. And because of people like Murdoch, and because of people like Tucker Carlson, those benefits tend to go to the wealthy. But they don't have to. We can fix that. We're capable of fixing that. And that's the pro-worker position. Workers of the world unite, you know? <laughs> okay. <clears throat> that was 11 emails um, that I just went over. That was a lot of fun. There are still literally like a thousand that I have to go through. And that was a lot of fun. I still don't know what I'm going to title this segment. I don't know if I'm going to title it like questions from conservatives or something like that. But I'll, 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 I'll find a way. And we're going to do this fairly often from now on. I don't mean like every day or whatever, but we're going to keep doing this. Because I do not want to be an echo chamber. I don't want to be that socialist YouTuber who exists only to dunk on the conservatives or whatever. I mean, if they come on here and they're a bitch, like, yeah, I'll dunk on them, sure. But I won't, I don't want my advocacy to be limited to antagonists. 